0: geek from ocala florida
1: and i'm wendy ying from sarasota florida and you're listening to horses in the morning on the horse radio network for thursday october 4th this is episode 2030 this episode is brought to you by the american driving society good morning horse world
0: Well, that's right. It is that time of the month for the driving episode, which comes the first Thursday of every month. And we have to start off the day by saying congratulations to Team USA, winning the, winning the driving at WEG. It was amazing. It was so good to see you guys there and hang out with you guys and live with you for a couple of days. Yeah, that but, was fun. Oh, man. It was, uh, it's the first time, right, that Team USA has won a world championship. Yes. Yep, Yep.
1: and the team was Chester Weber, who also got the individual silver, and Ms. D. Wrigley-Miller, and Jimmy Fairclough. So congratulations, guys. We were so proud of you.
2: Yay!
0: And they've, of course, been guests on our show on a regular basis over the years, and we'll definitely be having them back. It's going to be fun to talk to the gold medalists, and, and the picture's of them, If you haven't seen them, the pictures of them doing their victory lap were terrific. I mean, talk about three happy people, or a lot yeah. of happy people, if you take account everybody that was on the carriages. But uh, it was a lot of fun to see that. Some terrific pictures out of there. And, and the- great
1: driving by everybody. I mean, we had the top drivers in the world. Uh, congratulations goes out to Boyd for the gold. I mean, he was fantastic. And then we had great driving by Edward Simonet from uh, Belgium, who got the, the bronze. Uh, but there was just great driving all around. Bram, who's been on here for many shows, Bram Chardon, had a fantastic cones, the only clean cones. It's an exciting show for driving.
0: And it went down to the last drive. I mean, it was down to the wire for the Team Gold. I mean, it was just... Yeah. It My heart was beating
1: so hard. I know. <laughs>
0: I know. It was, it was a great, you know, that was, it was that way and jumping too and driving both down to the wire for the Golds. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a lot of fun that way. And it was good to see you guys there. And, and, uh, we had a wonderful time covering things at WEG. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. We have a lot coming up. We chat with Pony Tandem driver Jeffrey Ormond. Karen Martin previews the Martin's Fall carriage auction, Wendy and I's favorite. Uh, Katie Cadwell shares tr- the Tremont training tip. Kathleen Hack explains the dog cart, and the TCVM segment Dr. Oscar Fletcher covers everything you need to know about equine infectious anemia and the Coggins test. Isn't there an outbreak of that someplace?
1: Yes, uh, actually, the second case of equine infectious anemia was just found in Colorado. Mm. Um, so I know a lot of times people feel like, "What do I need this Coggins test for?" Because you don't hear about it that often. But uh, it is a very serious disease with no cure, and um, the way we control it is by testing with the Coggins test. So uh, I think this is a timely, uh, a timely interview to review about equine infectious anemia and the Coggins test.
0: So coming up first on the show, we have Katie Cadwell of Tremont Farms with her training tip of the month.
1: As you know, Glenn and Jen and Kyle and I are home from WEG and we had such a good time. Um, But we decided that this Tremont training tip section is going to be all about WEG because Randy and Katie um, had either horses or people involved in almost every team there. So uh, (laughs) welcome, Katie, back to our driving radio show and let's talk about WEG.
0: Hi Wendy. Hi Glenn. Makes you sound like the uh, driving mafia. You know they had.
1: We are pe- driving they had people a everywhere.
0: little, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so. It
3: will be so fun to talk about because it was such a great thing that our U.S. drivers did. A gold medal Yay. and Chester with his silver. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing accomplishment, and we've been talking about all these training tips and working on halts and you know getting your horses used to thing we've been talking about this and this is what these people have done for years to get ready to culminate in this gold medal
0: i know it was amazing and it was amazing to watch too it was just thrilling to see it but you you have some horses involved that have come through your camp right
3: Yes, and that's we're very proud at Tremont. So in Chester Weber's team, we have Splash, who's the, he has a big white face and white on his side. And Chester's been using him for quite a few years now. He's a super awesome horse. I know one of Wendy's favorites. Now, did yeah. you breed with him Nick. or train him or what? We bought him as a three-year-old out of Holland. So basically, we taught him everything he knows. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs>
1: good and bad (laughs) yeah but you know what i remember um i wasn't training with randy and katie when katie first got nick and splash um but you know we were friends and they had always helped me at the shows a lot because of course i am sometimes a disaster and they'd be like don't go that way that's ridiculous (laughs) but um i remember watching Katie drive nick and splash when she first got them and they were little babies and i was like oh my god i love those horses so i became a huge fan of them as babies and it's been so great to watch them progress
3: i still remember wendy in kentucky you watched me do marathon and when i got off marathon you said to me and this always stuck in my mind I want to drive like you when I grow up, because you just like you look. You look like you're sitting there in the hazard. You just sit there and drive, and everything looks calm and collected, and there's no craziness. And I want to be like that. And that
1: has always stuck in my head. I know you tried to train me, but I I just can't be taught.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll vouch for that. <laughs>
1: But, um, and yeah, also,
3: th- again, in our babies and our great horses, we had we had a horse named Scampolo that Randy drove in a pair, and I drove in my foreign hand That was in the Belgian team with Glenn Gertz, and they got the team bronze medal. Oh
1: wow! That was great to see him. That was really great to see him. That so Randy drove him pair. When you both didn't you both drive pair at the Pairs World Championship one year?
3: Yes, in Hungary, the one in Keshkemet, so right in the middle of the city, and Dressage and Cones were in a soccer stadium.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: That's and, so cool. And
3: Glenn, Glenn
1: Gertz is pretty young. Isn't he a young kid?
3: Yes, he's, he is. And he's a really good driver, and he's come up through the ranks very well. He's a good marathon driver, and um, Scampolo runs all three phases for him. He calls him Scamp the Champ.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great.
3: So it's Um, nice to see your, like your products and your babies out there doing their job at, you know, the top of the sport.
1: Well, that's what I think so great is that, and that's why, like you said, we have these training tips, like the, if they, they need the basics before they can go on to do what they do. And uh, like when, and the horses do get, um, sold around, you know, to different teams and cause putting a foreign hand together is like really hard because you have to, they all have to peak at the same time. Right. So yes, there's no, they can't buy one that has, they have to retrain to do like the basic stuff. If they have holes in their training, right. they have to just pass that on.
3: And that's like coast Durand this year had all just dif- a whole different team. He's completely revamping his team. So essentially it's a green team and he still did was fourth this year.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and he won the marathon.
3: He did. He did fantastic. Um, I would also, while we're discussing marathon, like to point out that while I'm taking credit for horses, I would like to take some credit for people too, because I feel I have helped Wendy's education, (laughs) and that Wendy doing the commentating on TV.
0: Did you watch it?
3: I have not gotten to see it yet, but I have taped it, but I have gotten... 50 million phone calls that I'm supposed to call Wendy and tell her how great she was. I mean, adventure people are coming up to me and saying, please tell Wendy she did the greatest job. She is the best commentator. They need to fire everyone else and hire Wendy. We've so said that for years like Wendy and nobody to, listens. <laughs> I would like Wendy to remember me when she's big and famous, giving her this information and helping her with her, you know, so that she had all this information to give people I take credit for it. Well, and well, I don't you
1: know what you should take credit for it. You should because a lot of the stuff I said, like, you know, I was the the um Phil that I was my co-host. He is a professional guy giving all the the uh, scores and everything, you know. And so they wanted me to explain to people what was going on. And I was watching and it's like all the stuff that you and Randy are telling me about, you know, like I explained how people use the brakes to turn. And I, and the biggest thing is, you know, it was real hilly and a lot of those hazards had real big pulls up and down. Yeah. And, uh, I explained the, the concept of walking between hazards so you can give your horse a rest because if you don't do combined driving, you might not understand that, you know, that, about how the pace is going. It's not just trotting along and going through some trees in the woods like it used to be. Now it's like trotting along and then a sprint and then trotting along in the sprint. So if you give them a chance to catch their breath, they're so much faster. And you told me that a long right. time ago. No idea how many people you educated
0: when Did. That you
3: taught about our sport and that you help promote our sport and make it look, show it in a positive light.
0: Well, I'm and good. she came in, she got that call like 10 o'clock the night before about doing FEI TV, and she didn't know she was doing NBC. She came down to the media center about an hour before she was supposed to be on air and said, I think I'm doing NBC. And then she freaked out a little bit. She did freak out a little bit. I was <laughs> she to watch <laughs> She thought it freaked yeah, she out? Yeah, she thought she was safe with FEI TV because it'd be like ten people watching. But then when she was told NBC, <laughs> it was like <laughs> I was like, Wendy, yeah. you can do this. We've done it before because we did Live Oak before. And everybody liked our coverage of yes. Live Oak too. Um everyone loved it. Yeah, so maybe they'll get us back to do that again. Who knows? But uh mm-hmm. you did a great job, Wendy. You really did. You did, you did a well, terrific thanks. job. And you we did. got so many compliments of that. Um and, and I think she should hire her full-time to travel around <laughs> yes, the world. I agree. Doing coverage around <laughs> the world. You don't have to stop doing this, but, yes, you should oh, take but, over doing oh, no. horse commentary. No, she's getting fired from doing this, because what's the thing that she forgot to mention while she was on NBC TV is where <laughs> she does her show. You did not. She forgot to mention the Horse Radio Network when, altogether.
1: They, they never gave me time to say it. I'm was-
3: <laughs> I did. Wendy, when you do your Oscar speech, you must always
1: thank the little people.
3: That's
0: right. Who got you there?
1: (sighs) I'm going to thank the baby Jesus, (laughs) Tremont Farm, and Horse Radio Network. That's
0: it. That's right. And
1: Glenn. Glenn needs to be mentioned
3: specifically.
0: Specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Keith.
1: He's
3: your He's your work husband. That's right.
0: That's (laughs) true. I have a lot of work wives. I'm discovering Um, more than I want sometimes. Yes, Mormon. We'll call
1: you Mormon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Katie. Congratulations on your success with the horses in there, and for being such an influential part of this sport.
3: You are welcome, and thanks for having me on.
0: And congratulations to Wendy for being on NBC and for getting to mention. Yay, Wendy! But before we get to our next guest, all the way from England, I wanted to mention DrWendyYing.com. And that's a place where you sell all kinds of stuff for your pets.
1: That's right. We have um, all kinds of herbal formulas that we talk about on the show. Uh, We have... um a formula called body sore, which is a very safe and natural formula that helps. um, Like if you're giving your horse anti-inflammatories, you can switch them over to this herbal supplement that, that um, can be a little bit safer for them. and has less chance of having stomach ulcers. And we have all different, um, a whole bunch of different other formulas that you can use. Uh, We also have a line of topical products that are herbal and all natural and they're beeswax and olive oil based. So they are very safe for the horses, and um, and they're good for your skin. You can use them on horses, dogs, and cats, and all your other the pets. I've used them on turtles and fish also.
0: <laughs> now, do you, do you um, have stuff for dogs, too? Dogs and yeah. horses?
1: Yeah, it's for dogs and cats and horses, Some of the things, uh, there's only a few topical products that that also have essential oils in it. And for cats, we tend to not use essential oils because they can be sensitive to that. But anything without essential oils in it that's just herbs uh, is safe for cats. So it's for all animals.
0: Very good. And you can find all of those products at drwendyying.com.
1: I am happy to introduce a fellow Tandem combined driver, Jeffrey Ormond. He's been driving Tandem since 2009, and um, I know our listeners have seen his videos because I post his GoPro videos on our driving radio page all the time. Uh, He has some really exciting marathon videos with this Tandem. So welcome, Jeffrey, to our show.
2: I'm glad to be here.
1: You've been driving, combined driving, for 25 years, right?
2: Yeah, myself and my wife have uh, competed for, well, 25 years. Uh, initially, single, and then uh, around about 2009, I took up the tandem range and started playing with the tandem.
1: And what did you think? Like, why did you decide to choose to do tandem?
2: Well, <clears throat> basically, um, with the two ponies we had at the time... Um, we, we were bringing on a new pony mm-hmm. uh, and our old pony, which we'd had for quite some time, was uh, get, getting on a little bit in years uh, and a friend of ours suggested that maybe we should uh, have a play at Tandem. She thought they looked good together, so we thought, well, why not? And it was just uh, at the time, it was like we wanted to keep the old pony going and keep her in work as long as we possibly can. I do believe that the the horses need to have something to do, a purpose in life. Playing tandem with the older pony was a, a way of keeping her going and keeping her doing the combined driving for as long as we possibly could with her, uh, and that proved to be the case. And we, our very last competition we did with that pony, she was 25 years old. Oh um, my gosh! Took, yeah, we took her to, to Windsor and competed in the national championships at Windsor. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't win, but we had a good time, and we were all part of the learning curve with the tandem.
1: So, um, also driving tandem, you must be an adrenaline junkie.
2: Um, <laughs> I like a challenge. Yeah. Um, as you know, if, you, if you're driving, you're doing the combined driving with with uh, with a tandem. It certainly is a challenge. Uh, I remember the very first national competition that I went to, and I was doing my dressage test with the older pony, and and. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you the names. The, the, the old pony was called Fly. We like so we had it for a long time. And mm-hmm. the pony that I had in the wheel was called Gypsy. The very first dress size test I did with them, um, one of the comments coming from the judge is that I didn't need to do two one-handed circles. I was only supposed to do one, what she hadn't noticed that I'd actually dropped the reins.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, so
2: that was quite interesting. <laughs>
1: uh, and tell us what uh, what breed are your ponies that you're driving now?
2: There are, there are all four ponies that I've got at the moment. They're all well section Cs. I've got mm-hmm. uh, three mares and a geldin. The geldin is our leader. He was bought as a three-year-old uh, with the, the intention of being a tandem leader, and we have been very, very fortunate with that pony. He's turned out to be an absolutely outstanding pony for us.
0: Does the, Do the mares um, pick on him constantly, like, oh them again
2: (laughs) well no no they don't actually because he's 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 very sassy he he will look after himself and he'll stand up for himself quite funny when he's in the field because the the girls will argue amongst themselves quite a lot but he will take no messing from any of them and he, he will just like if he wants to come and see you when you're in the field with him he'll come and see you Whereas the girls will have to fight with one another
0: it's good he's that way, or he'd be beat up all the time.
2: Absolutely, yeah. But he doesn't stand no messing with these girls. He's—I would not say he's in charge, but he doesn't stand any messing. He's—you know—he—he—he he, he will stand his ground, uh, and he'll—if if they've been naughty round one another, he'll just go in in between them and, and even split them up at times. So, <laughs> quite a good, quite a good fella, really.
1: And so how did you go about looking for a leader? What do you look for in uh in the qualities for a leader?
2: Um, for us, uh it needs to be uh a bold pony. When we went to see when we actually went to see him, I remember going on to the yard that we were on, it was only three year old. Mm-hmm. and they literally uh dragged him out of the field, put a hair collar out and dragged him out of the field and the yard was quite a, an untidy place to say the least. Uh, I always remember there was a, a a very large pool of water, puddle of water in, in the in the middle of this yard, with mm-hmm. a piece of carpet lying in the middle of it. So you can oh imagine. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> the lady uh, that there was selling him uh, had had quite a bit to drink actually, she was drunk when we got there. <laughs> um, but she was telling us how brave he was, and this, that, and the other. And anyway, she she took the pawn in and decided to trot him. Uh, through the water and the first time he went through the water he dodged the the, the piece of carpet that was floating about in the water <laughs> and then she turned him round and brought him back to it again and he went straight over it, just walked straight, well, trotted straight over it. I thought, well, if he's brave enough to do that, I, brave, we're like, willing to give him a chance. The, the very first time that we actually put him into the, the tandem lead, he just put his head down and got on with it. And he's been like that ever since. He's always been an absolutely brilliant, brilliant, outstanding pony for us.
1: Oh, that's fantastic! Now, um, in England, you guys actually have a lot of tandems that compete in combined driving, don't you? You're you have because uh, in the in the United States, it's a rare sight that you might see a tandem competing in combined driving, but.
2: We are getting a few more coming in. Uh, We have been a little bit on the decline over the last few years, but actually, the last couple of years, we are seeing more and more people coming out with the tandems,
4: uh,
2: Mm -hmm. which I I sort of feel a a little bit uh, proud with that because I I do know that I have actually encouraged other people to to have a go with the tandem and and have a play. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are seeing more tandems coming out, and hopefully, next year there'll be even more. There's other people that are, are showing interest and saying, "I'm going to go and have a go at that." Uh, we are a, a minority as far as the class is concerned, but there is good competition out there. Um, the 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 uh, the national championships this year was quite fiercely fought between us. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all nip and tuck all the way through, almost well, absolutely to the end of the the competition, which is what we like to see. And like I say, I know there's more people coming out next year, so it's looking good for the Tanners in the UK.
1: Oh, that's great! Have you ever tried to put your leader Woody in the wheel? Does he go in the wheel also, or does he hate that? Uh,
2: I've, for the first three years that we had him, he, I, he never went. He never actually went between shafts from the day we got him to the first three years that we actually competed with him uh, as a leader. He used to long rein him and we used to put a tyre behind him to, for practice and he used to bolt on us uh, <laughs> and he used to go round and round and round in circles with him, which was quite exciting until he calmed down. So when we actually come to put him in the carriage properly, uh, it was a little bit um, tense, shall we say, but we put <laughs> him in the carriage and he just did it. Uh, it oh, was Unbelievable. And the very first time we actually drove him out a, as a single away from our uh, yard, took him down a little country lane and we were met. Uh, and this little country lane was a one track lane with high oh. hedges on either side of it. We were met with the sirens of the fire engine coming up the lane.
1: Oh my and God. we managed to
2: tuck him into a, a little lay by in this thing. And this fire engine came around a 90 degree bend in front of us with all the lights <laughs> and sirens going. And then that went past us, and then another one come with all the lights and sirens going, and then another one, and then an ambulance, and then a police car, and then a police helicopter. And that (laughs) was the first time i ever drove him out as a single. And he just stood there and watched it all go past. It was unbelievable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's when you knew he was... uh... Brave pony. You were right about that. Well, Jeffrey, um, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we're all going to be watching all your videos on Facebook, and we'll be following all your adventures with your ponies. Thank you. Oh, ho, oh, the HRN auditors are quite the awesome herd. Oh, take this advice from me. Oh, the HRN auditors are quite the awesome herd. Our horse obsession, something rare to see. We share our horse show bombs or ribbons from our good days. Nutrition tips to help friends in need. Our struggles and our triumphs can be followed. Just ask your question, then the answers on your facebook feed oh the hrn auditors are so amazing but i nearly skipped the most important part each month our dollars or five or twenty help to keep up all the shows that hold such fun spots in our hearts
0: You know, Wendy, we have been doing this show for a long time, and the one thing that has been a constant is the support of the American Driving Society. If you are a driver of any kind, you should consider becoming a member of the ADS. Membership gets you a subscription to their glossy magazine, The Whip, featuring all the latest news and feature articles for the sport of carriage driving. All the news from the ADS delivered right to your inbox via the ADS email blasts and also their digital newsletter, The Wheelhorse. In addition, you get online access to the ADS Trail Guide, a state-by-state guide for recreational drivers. Online access to the Omnibus is also included, which is a comprehensive guide to upcoming carriage competitions. And you'll be eligible for their rich recognition programs including the ADS Youth Championships and Hours to Drive. Along Along with the new ADS driven dressage awards. Plus so much more, and just for a few dollars a month. You can find it all at American Driving Society.org. That's American Driving Society.org. Well now it's time for Carriages 101 with Kathleen from the Carriage Association of America. And this month we are talking about dog carts. So I am so excited what kind of dogs are pulling these carts, Kathleen? (laughs)
5: <laughs> well, they're actually taking it easy and getting a ride at this point. Oh, okay. so, uh,
0: so these aren't pulled but dogs, by dogs? and
5: horses. Yes. No, oh. no, no. Just pure horsepower. Okay. Yeah. So, but uh, this was back in the days when they were able to hitch a ride on the cart. And uh, they would be going to different events, probably out to hunt. They didn't want their dog to get tired. So, you know, they would put the dog in the cart,
0: take them right along with them. Is that how they got the name Dog Cart? It is indeed. And
1: also I can, I can attest for being a Jack Russell owner for most of my life. I don't trust my Jack Russell to follow along. They'd be (laughs) off killing things along the way and then they'd be like tired and who knows where they'd end up. So you need to put them inside the carriage so you can contain them until you get to where you're going.
5: Right. And when we have a, a carriage dog competition nowadays, the dog often sits on a seat next to you um, in, a, in a basket and sometimes wears a cute hat, etc. But uh, they used to follow along underneath the carriage, uh, particularly the coaching dogs. But with a hunting dog, just like your Jack Russell, they get distracted. So they had a special uh, carriage made for them and that would have louves on the side. And that's kind of a different word. It's spelled L O U. V E S and basically, what it is is the ventilation in a carriage so that uh, the dog can breathe uh, underneath there. Uh, there's slats on the side, and that's pretty much what sets a car a dog cart. Uh, that's how you know what they are. Hold is on. they'll have the lubes uh, on the side.
0: Let's back up a little. So, so actually, uh, they, there was a box in the cart that you'd shove the dog in, like a dog crate, or it was similar. The so, cart?
5: underneath your seat. Is where this would be. So, you know how on we were talking about the uh, buggies before, and in the back there was space for uh, maybe a little something to carry with you, your doctor's bag or whatever. Mm-hmm. This space would now be used for the dog. So, so I, I do think the dogs were a little shorter then uh, <laughs> because they're not a very big space, but uh, they are indeed. Uh, you'll see them in a couple of different versions. Some of them are slat sided on a carriage. Um, which means that there is a bigger space, maybe an inch or two, um, but then the other ones are more like a uh, ventilation slat, uh, just little slats, uh, but there would have been they would have been about a foot long, and so there would have been enough ventilation for the animal in there. They also have uh, what they call cocking carts, and those would have carried uh, fowl, um, taking your chickens or whatever to to market or. Then they had chicken fighting.
1: Yeah, to the cock fight. <laughs> yes. So that's the kind of, I need a carriage like that to put my chickens in.
0: Did they Were these two and four-wheeled?
1: <laughs> yes.
5: So they were primarily four-wheeled in the beginning. Um, as early as 1796, they were talking about different phaetons, And a phaeton is a four-wheeled vehicle. Um, in most cases, it uh, is a cut under, which means that the wheels can turn underneath the vehicle and not get caught up. Um, but in 1843, the British government and the agricultural interests were disagreeing. And so they made a tax break for people that had um, two-wheel vehicles. And it's kind of interesting because the they had to have the owner's name painted on it and uh, different things. And it had to not cost more than 21 pounds. And so all of a sudden these dog carts sprung up. And so they went from a four wheel vehicle to a two wheeled still have the slats on the side, the loose, uh, but they're just a a two wheel vehicle. And so what would happen is that the, um, carriage maker would make you a receipt and it would indeed be for, um, you know, 19 pounds and, and 20 shillings or something like that. And then you would get a separate bill for all the accessories that went on it. Um, (laughs) But that way you you stayed within the tax break. And so that's where the dog carts really came in. Um, And that's uh, very typical of what we see hooked to a tandem nowadays. Um, A tandem is when you drive one horse in front of the other uh, and you wanna be set up a little bit higher And in general, the dog carts in particular are set higher um, because you were going to go through the mud and things like that to get to where the hunt was. And and so they set them up a little higher.
1: Also, I always feel like, you know, it's like the dog carts are sporting vehicles and like tandem is the ultimate fun, dangerous sports car, right?
5: Right. So particularly when you were going out with the hunt, which you might take your dog to, your horse in the lead may be either in harness or in a combination of harness and saddle. Uh, And he would be out there in the front where he wouldn't get very tired. The horse that was next to the cart would be doing most of the work. He would be, you get to your destination, you would um, take them apart and go hunt on the horse out in the front and then come back, hook them up. And then while you were out hunting, the horse that was the wheeler had time to rest. And then you would um, put your dog back in your dog cart and uh, put the wheeler to work. And you would go home that way. But uh, definitely a sporting vehicle, uh, definitely a vehicle that was primarily driven by men, uh, particularly gentlemen. And um, however, they did make the Alexandra dog cart, uh, which was for women. It has the same basic design, uh, but no lo- lo- uh, slats on the side. So it looks like a dog cart, but there's no place to put a dog. You know how we um, put
0: bells on the cart to let people know we were coming? You didn't need that with a dog cart. You knew that. No. Were yeah. No.
5: <laughs> I would imagine those beagles in the back were baying. <laughs> <laughs> now, they. Uh, we usually talk about carts, and because you know we do have a close connection with England, we tend to think about things that happened in England and carts that came across to, uh, from England to the Ameri- um, United States. But it is important to remember that we are not the only ones that have to transport our dogs. Um, so they do have um, dog carts in other countries in France, I believe they're called two carts, which is T O and then the word cart. And then in India, I think they call them tum tums. Um, and uh, so they have a version of a dog cart in various other countries because, you know, dogs and horses go together like peanut butter and jelly. So <laughs> um, They also have uh, sleighs that would were set up to uh, transport your dog so they, in, in the winter. So
0: I, so I do know this. They still have tum-tums in India, but they're like golf carts. So they're, ah. like, they're like golf carts. That, and I think that it was just a... Procession of uh, you know, they used to be pulled by animals, and now they're golf carts. So they still call them tumtums. Oh, they I like tum, that. Tum-tums. They have tumtum races too in India. Do they really? Yes, <laughs> that's right.
1: Kathleen, was there like a certain color that the um, dog carts were painted? Were they only natural, or were they flashy, or what? They were very flashy
5: in general um, because they were a sporting vehicle. So you could be as bright as you wanted to be. Um, In the United States, uh, we did go to what's called a trap, and those are often natural wood, uh, but it depends on what type of wood that the vehicle is made out of. A lot of the sporting vehicles are very lightweight, and the wood that was used to make them that way is not very pretty, so they weren't natural. Um, Mm -hmm. Particularly in the two-wheeled vehicles, you can see they're they're not gaudy, but they're bright, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of black and yellow. Um, the slats on the side, those lubes, those are often cut, uh, painted the same color as the trim, um, so that it adds brightness to the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they, you see a lot of yellow and black, uh, also blue and black, uh, but the bodies are typically black, but the rest of the vehicle can be whatever color combination makes you happy.
1: Oh well, that's great, Glenn. I can see a dog cart in your future with scooter. I'm
0: not sure that uh, I'm not sure that our greyhound would fit. I don't think she would fit. <laughs>
1: you need a whip it. You need a whip
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think a greyhound would fit. This was really meant for tiny uh, Jack Russell hunting dogs and beagles. Uh, <laughs> I can see that, or, ch- or chihuahuas, maybe you could put a whole herd of no. chihuahuas in there.
1: No, I, I don't know about the chihuahua, but I, I bet you, you could
5: you probably could put a whole herd of chihuahuas in there. Um, particularly with the uh phaetons, they got pretty big at some point. They were six passenger phaetons, so you could have put a, a small um a group of, of dogs underneath it. So um, there so was quite a bit of space,
0: so even if it was a phaeton. Six-passenger Phaeton, uh, which is a very large vehicle. If it had the place for the dogs, you know, if it had the compartment for the dogs, they called it a dog cart.
5: Yes. Okay. And, and that's where it gets a little weird because even though it's a – they call it a dog cart Phaeton. So even though it has four wheels, it's still a dog cart. And then the word Phaeton is added on. Uh, and sometimes you'll see it as a four-wheeled um dog cart fade in, but they, they kind of dropped the four wheeled part because the fade in implies it. Hmm. Um, so, but it, it's interesting as you uh, go through, you know, we talked before about the buggies where at the end of the day, the maker named it, whatever they wanted to name it. And the same thing is true uh, for these vehicles to a certain extent, because they would go back and forth between describing it as a four wheeled dog cart or Uh, as a Phaeton.
0: We'll uh, we'll post pictures in our show notes of a cart and a uh, Phaeton so that they can see what both looks like. And where can they find out more information from you?
5: We will have a post on our CAA blog, which is available at caaonline.com. And also we will be at the National Drive in Indiana uh, later this week uh and i'll have the information up there and then jill Ryder, who's our executive director will be at the martin's auction in pa and she will also have information with her
0: and we'll be talking more about that in today's show won't we wendy well yeah so um thank you very much kathleen we really appreciate it and it was just weird to hear you say national drive in indiana when i'm so used to it being in kentucky I know. <laughs> uh, it just was weird. I was like, "No, you have the wrong state. It's the wrong place. It's in Kentucky. It's always in Kentucky." Uh, yes. <laughs> all right. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. It's CAAonline.com.
4: Thirty-five hundred seventy-seven. Thirty-five Thirty-five hundred. Four thousand. I got thirty-seven way back. White shirt. You're out. I got way back at thirty. If you want to get four thousand?
1: All right, well, it's that time of year again, Martin's Auction. So uh, all of us drivers live for these two, for the fall and the spring auctions. It's a time when you can go, you can check out all these carriages you can uh, learn about history because there's a lot of carriages there, and also you can buy carriages, harness, and see all your buddies. And we are so happy that Karen Martin is joining us to tell us all about the auction. So
6: welcome, Karen. Hi, Wendy. Thank you for having us.
1: Well, you know, you your uh, auction is such a and a big event for. Driving people, and um, but and it's we, not just for driving. We should it mention has it's in
0: Lebanon, Pennsylvania, too. Well, let's start. So, people that don't know, it's in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. If you're familiar exactly. with that, Amish country,
6: right? Amish country, uh, exactly. At the fairground, Lebanon County Fairground. And so, what,
1: what happens? Like, t- tell us about uh, like someone new coming into an auction, what would they expect?
6: Well, we have um. Carriages as well as um, saddles, bridles. We have um, all types of equestrian equipment um, throughout the disciplines. Uh, English, Western, anything related to a horse might just show up at Martin's Auction. Um, On the Friday session, we have carriages and smaller items which are listed in a catalog. Um, So we'll have the cataloged items starting at 10 o'clock on October the 19th and then we'll go through the catalog with cattle um, with carriages and we'll probably have we usually have over 100 um we've had over into the 120 150 so we'll have a uh, over 100 carriages on Friday and then in the evening session we'll go into some of the finer appointments like top hats whips um saddles miniatures prints we have equine art sporting art um all kinds of different things, but it's our nicer, our nicer, um finer appointments on Friday, and then Saturday we have a field session, and anything can show up from a horse trailer or different things that you might find: farm equipment, anvils. Oh, uh, Wendy, you've been there, and Glenn, I remember too, one year there. you
1: had a, a big dinosaur. Remember the green dinosaur? Yes.
6: Yeah, we've <laughs> had we've had chickens. We've had rabbits from the Rose Bowl parade. We have lots of different things like that. So, oh, it can if it's horse related or or farm related, it can it can show up. Um, in the you know what else is sure. really
1: fun about the Saturday session? It's like um, the things that I've bought on the Saturday session were things that I wanted to decorate my house with because I have a farmhouse and I wanted these cool like farmhousey things like. All those things that you see now are popular, like the Joanna Gaines type look of, of things exactly. that now cost like a million dollars if you go to bed, bath and beyond, but you can find them for like $2 in the
6: sale. Oh, farm implements to hang on the wall, tobacco baskets, anything that, you know, lots of different things, Um, milk cans, um, shutters. We have great, um, some really neat stable fixtures that you can use on your house, lamps, carriage Mm -hmm. lamps that people electrify, Um, lots of different things. So you're exactly right. And actually, we, we do have dealers that come from... Um, outside of the city, Philly and, and New York City, and they do buy things, um, and I'm sure they resell them or use them in some of the houses that they're renovating. I
0: uh, um, I remember oh, yes. when I went to there probably long before I was ever driving carriages, Uh, we used to be, I found the hearses so fascinating because you always had hearses there. And I always found those so fascinating. And it's so funny now because we've had many people on, you know, using a horse-drawn hearse has become a thing where it wasn't a thing 30 years ago. Um, You know, people collected them, but now they're being bought up and used.
6: They are. They are. And still, um, in London, uh, one of the biggest businesses is horse-drawn funerals and weddings. They're still doing tons of funerals. And I think it's still, um, it's more and more popular over in Europe and, and England, but I think people, um, still are open to using, especially for weddings, for carriages, um, you know, the Cinderella carriages, but the hearses. And we usually get a hearse or so each auction. So um, Mm -hmm. you'll probably see one this time too.
0: I remember the last time we were there, which was eight years ago, Wendy. It was soon after we met. That. Uh, my wife actually let us go on a road trip together like two weeks after we met. <laughs> it was the <to, laughs>
1: We didn't think anything
6: about <laughs> it. We're just like, Oh, we're going to Mark we'll to yeah. see you bye.
0: <laughs> we did a road was, trip well, together.
6: And <laughs> that's the thing. It's like friends, you know, it and people take mm-hmm. their vacations, their holiday, they save up, um and they book it a year in advance. Um, a lot of people. So because it's it's a place people meet as old friends. Um, Wendy knew know, everybody and there.
0: Done. She's like knew everybody yeah. there. <laughs>
1: but that's because that's, like sometimes I only see them once a year at the at the fall auction, you know. But you you right. make friends while you're standing there like waiting for your item, like you know. Karen, do you remember Dinwiddie Lampton <laughs> <laughs> How do we ever
6: that. forget?
1: I know. I I remember. I became friends with him there. We never. I mean, he drove, but we were never in the same driving circles. But I was sitting there, and he was bidding on everything I wanted. And I finally went up to him. And I'm like, hey, I want to <laughs> buy some of these things. I, had, But he used to buy everything. And that's how I got to he be friends did. with him. And I would see him once a year at, at the auction.
6: And <laughs> you'll run into people as lovely as Dimwitty, who you'll never forget for the rest of your life, nor will you meet anyone like him, one of our favorite all-time people. Yeah. Um, you'll meet people, you know, All sorts of people. Um, We have had um, lots of um, different things come through the movie industry and and different things. So you'll get, you know, special prop type things, and then that draws a certain type of person. So it's quite diverse, the the things that we get, plus the people that attend. Um, So it's a great... Actually, it's a lot of fun. Whether you with you come um, and consign or buy, do you know you, know, you always make. Friends. Do you know
0: who we saw there? One of the first auctions we ever went to. This is 30, 40 years ago. This is a long time ago. We saw Robert Wagner yeah. there. Robert Wagner was there. Yep. Yep.
6: yep. Really? <laughs> yep. He, did, he bought farm wagons. Yeah. Sissy Spacek, Robert Wagner. Um, we've sold different things. Um, there was a we did California sales in California for some years. Um, and we sold uh, lots of things, wagons from the Little House on the Prairie, from Little House on the Prairie to Planet of the Apes. Um, oh, my gosh. Different things like that. So we've had a chance to really see some pretty unique things, um, you know, and it, it's unique, um, like I said, the people that it brings. But we just sold um some really nice items in Albert, Indiana. It was a special carriage collection. We do private collections as well. So those are some things that are that always bring unique items. We had um, it was purported to be uh, President McKinley's hearse. So Glenn, there yeah. was a famous Hearse oh, there. Wow. Um an item McKinley. It was one of the most beautiful little sleighs I think I've ever seen with the painting and it was in original condition. And I do believe it's going to go into a museum and stay. Um, in Ohio in one of the McKinley museums, but some really nice things like that that, that that, that you know, have so much history. Hey, um,
0: I, I have a question you. For would you would never
6: see otherwise. So, years sure. ago,
0: and you used to, he worked there, I'm sure, I don't even know if he's still alive. You had an Amish guy spotter who, he was a short guy <laughs> that was so overly enthusiastic and over the top that to this day, my wife and I still talk about him, because we'd see him. He's
6: at, still there. Is he? He's <laughs> got to be 90. <laughs> he, he's got, like I, well, he, you know, like I said, our, our our, we have such dedicated employees, friends, and customers. Our, some of our employees are in their 70s and 80s. What's,
0: the, what, how, what's his name? So, what's his first name?
6: His name is Elon. He, that's Elon.
0: right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Is yes, he still he's overly still enthusiastic? enthusiastic. <laughs>
6: yeah, he still is enthusiastic.
1: Now, Karen, a, a lot of people, me included... When they get into driving, or they're thinking about getting into driving, and they go up here, this is a great place for somebody to get their first carriage, or kind of look around and see what would be good for their first carriage. Do you have things like that this year?
6: Oh, absolutely. We have we that we have a good group of things like that. As a matter of fact, um, for entry level driving, this is I think it's probably one of the first stops you should make um, before you before you make a selection so you can see exactly what you like, what you don't like, what you can sit in. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've had some pretty interesting comments from museum curators from all over the the world say, it's like a Martin's university. You go and you learn (laughs) and it's a history lesson. So um, and actually being a former school teacher, I, I have to agree, you know, you can go to the auction and see things that you won't see anywhere else. But mm-hmm. we do have entry level things um, that people can come look, see, you've maybe heard about it um, and, and you can sit um, in some of the carriages and measure and look at size and, and also talk to people, you know.
1: Yeah, Um, so there's lots of good used marathon carriages or used pleasure, like recreational carriages with pneumatic wheels.
6: We do. We have anything from single carts to um, carriages that are are great for training with pneumatic wheels. Single pair, four in hand. Um, We have show vehicles if you want to have an antique carriage, if you want to have a sleigh to sit out in your front yard for the holidays.
1: Oh, yeah and
6: you're right about the
1: people there i mean the education because there's so many people yeah, that be willing are. to help you
6: oh so many people so many people and you know you, you make you make some good contacts um so mm-hmm. it's it's a good resource for other things as well as buying um and you know it, it somebody might be just around the corner and you wouldn't even know it um or a state away that could be a lot of help for you yeah and um we have trainers Museum curators, yeah. um, you know, from the backyard person to top level trainers in museums, come to the auction. So
1: now, um, Karen, what's the? How does someone bid? Like, what if this is my first time going? How do how do I know how to bid or check in or okay. what happens?
6: Well, the first thing you can do is um, come to. If you're going to come to the auction, uh, you come to the office and we give you a bidder's number. Um, and we get your information and enter you into the computer and you can be put on a mailing list. But if you're coming to buy and you want to buy large amounts of, of things, or you're going to spend, uh, you know, more than $102 uh, and you want to write a check, you might, you need to get a guaranteed payment from your bank, you know, just make contact with us by email, you yeah. know, and we're, we're happy to work with everyone. But basically um, if you're just going to bring and, and, and buy, and you bought with us before, um, we take credit cards, Visa, Mastercard. Um, and you can sign up the day of the auction. Um, so there, you know, we have international buyers that have dealt with us for years. So we do wire transfers. We we buy and sell and ship all over the world. Um, anywhere. Oh, Spain, so you, you England.
1: So you help the, mm-hmm. with the shipping after too.
6: We can, yes. We usually do if we get container loads full of people. Um, and usually we have something going to uh, England or Europe um, every auction. So we do offer international shipping as well. It's very easy. Don't let the auction intimidate you. Um, we'll walk you through it. And our, and our staff's always friendly and eager to help.
1: And my favorite part about the auction is when you're, you have your bidder's number and you know the thing that you want to <laughs> bid on. And it's, it actually is so exciting buying things at auction. And I know you Pennsylvania people are used to that. But for the rest of us, this is, I mean, the only auction I've ever been to is this. There's not a lot of auctions around the rest of the country.
0: Uh, as a kid, my, because my dad was a woodworker and my brother was a woodworker, we used to go to almost every – that's where they bought all their tools and all their wood was at auctions. <laughs> and we would go to auctions like every weekend. I mean, I just thought that's yeah. something everybody did. too. I moved out of Pennsylvania. It's like, where are the auctions? There are no <laughs> auctions.
6: It's a way of life up here. It really is. Um, and it's nice because, you know, it'll, you find some really good buys and um, you can actually, see things that you probably wouldn't see at Home Depot or, you know, if you're going to decorate your house or you want to get into carriage driving. So there's um, some pretty unique things um, that pass through.
0: It is martinauctioneers.com. It's October the 19th that weekend, right? Um,
6: 19th and 20th, October
0: 19th and 20th. And you can find the listings on there also with some pictures. Uh, They've started putting them up now. There'll be much more to come at martinauctioneers.com. Thanks, Karen.
6: Thank you. Have a
1: good day. So, coming up on our TCV, TCVM segment, we are going to replay an interview I did with uh, Dr. Oscar Fletcher, who was my dean when I was at veterinary, veterinary school at um, North Carolina State University way back in the 90s. And um, he is going to, we're going to talk about equine infectious anemia and also the development of the Coggins test by Dr. Coggins. Well, I'm so excited. We have Oscar Fletcher, who was the Dean of NCSU College of Veterinary Medicine from 1992 to 2004. So that made him my Dean way back in the 90s. Um, and in addition to him being a veterinarian, he's also a Ph.D. He's done extensive research in pathology and poultry diseases and was a wonderful teacher and mentor. Uh, during his time at NCSU, he had the chance to work with Dr. Coggins, who was the head of the first pathology department at NCSU College of Veterinary Medicine. And Dean Fletcher is kind enough to join us today to talk all about the history of the Coggins test and remembering Dr. Coggins. Well, Dean Fletcher, welcome to the Driving Radio Show. I'm so happy you could join us.
4: Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Good to good to hear from you again.
1: I know. It's been a long time since we've seen each other, but I'm so happy that you could come and be on the Chinese veterinary medicine segment of our Driving Radio Show. And today, um, I thought of a kind of interesting spin on the Coggins test. We as horse owners know we always have to get a Coggins test every year, but I don't think people really understand why. And um, the reason I asked you to join us is because there actually was a real Dr. Coggins that invented the test and you knew him personally, right?
4: Yes, right. Leroy Coggins was a veterinarian, uh, graduated from Oklahoma State University, Served in the military and and did a lot of work in Africa and Kenya, and that's where he perfected techniques that led him to uh, the discovery of how to diagnose uh, equine infectious anemia. He did that at Cornell, and later uh, in his career, he came to NC State. He was the first department head in the Department of Microbiology, Pathology, and Parasitology uh, so we had four departments at the time, and he was uh, he was the founding head of that department. So, um, very well known, uh, of course, because of the Coggins test, but well known, uh, you know, among uh, veterinarians involved in education simply because of his um, involvement uh, both at Cornell and uh, in administration at NC State.
1: Right, and so before he did his test, the only way we could tell if a horse was positive for equine infectious anemia is we'd have to take that blood from the sus- suspect horse and and inject it into a, another horse and see if that horse came down with the disease, so that's not yeah. a fun way to go.
4: <laughs> no, and it's time-consuming, and so the test Dr. Coggins developed, you, you take a blood sample and then within a matter of um, a, a couple of days uh, you can get back a result as to whether or not the horse is infected and of course that's important because you don't want infected horses uh, in contact with non-infected horses because that's a, a source of infection and and that it could spread by mosquitoes and biting flies and and things like that and So it was was it's important to detect a horse that's infected. Uh, So the Mm -hmm. coggins test provided an an effective, uh, efficient means of doing that, especially compared to the method you just described.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's such a uh, that disease has such like general symptoms. It could be so many different things, Um, but it's such a it can spread so quickly. You know, if one milliliter of blood from an acutely infected horse has enough virus to infect a million horses. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like, a, it's like botulism. We think we don't think of it as such a dangerous thing, but just a little bit of it can infect so many animals or people. Um, and I think too, it's really interesting that back in, he, he invented this test in the seventies, right?
4: Yeah, I think he invented it. Might have been 1970, and by yeah. early 70s, 72, 73, it had been approved for use by the USDA, and and became you know widely used. And, and you know I haven't gone back and looked at the figures in terms of what has happened to the cases of equine infectious anemia, but you uh, you 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 just don't hear of it very of it happening very much. I mean, I don't think our veterinary students today. Or maybe many veterinarians have ever seen a case.
1: Well, yeah, that's what's so interesting about it is that people are like, well, why do I need to get this cognitive test every year? But um, I did a little research before this interview. And I in Florida, where, you know, uh, this is spread by biting flies. So Florida, we have like so many flies that all year round. We're like a hotbed. So in 1970, the prevalence of equine infectious anemia was 12%. But by two thousand, by the year two thousand, it had dropped to zero point zero one six percent, and we had zero cases in yes. twenty seventeen. So that yeah, tells big. you how effective that is.
4: Yeah, that's quite amazing. Now, I, let me tell you just a little bit about Dr. Coggins himself, because if you met him, you would never know that he was famous for inventing this test. So he was just a really nice guy, a very modest, uh, unassuming. Uh, you, you just would, would never uh, picture that this is the guy that actually invented the Coggins test. Uh, he was um, a very um, professional in all of the dealings I had with him, of course, and and, and I think fa- he really got faculty to respond. I think people just didn't want to disappoint him.
2: Mm-hmm. So he,
4: he was, he was uh, quite remarkable in that regard. I don't i never heard of anybody say anything negative about him, but he was just a, a, a really wonderful person. I think he, he had a fairly large family, four or five kids, I think, and quite amazing. Uh, you know, when he died several years ago and it, it, the tributes that were made at his funeral were really quite impressive. So, so he, he's one of those famous veterinarians that really accomplished something uh, unique and really a tremendous benefit to the equine uh, industry. I'm i, I I don't think we could say enough about the importance of of the test in the, in the sense of of it keeps uh, infected animals uh, from contact with uninfected animals. And and I know you know I'm not a horse person,
1: mm-hmm.
4: uh, but um, I, my father certainly was the was a horseman in our family. But I know enough about the herd animals, and I know enough about the fact that horse people come together for a variety of events and you've got you're bringing horses together from a number of different sources and, right. and, and so the importance of having that negative test is is that we can we can just about prevent the occurrence of a disease and that's reflected in the figures that you just gave mm
1: mm-hmm. mhm yeah. And it, you, we as horse owners sometimes think, like I know my clients sometimes say to me, well, this horse never leaves the farm. So this one doesn't need a Coggins test. And I'm like, well, do the others leave the farm? Do you trail ride? Do you mm-hmm. live in an area where horses, like, like Glenn and I both live in equine communities where I only live on five acres. So basically I'm in an open herd with every other horse in my neighborhood. Yeah. So so yeah, there's we, a chance that I, if one horse in my neighborhood had equine infectious anemia and a fly bites that horse and then I'm riding by on the road or the trail and and that fly bites my horse I have a I'm at risk.
4: Yeah, we we have the the, the equine industry is really interesting because it's so diverse depending on the on the type of horse you have mm-hmm. and the type of activities you have. The Veterinary College has a facility over in Southern Pines, and there's a lot of horses in that area. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
4: There's about a there's a adjacent to our facility is about a thousand acres of land that's used for trail riding and fox hunting, Mm -hmm. and people bring horses from all over, and you'll see trailers parked along the highway there, and and so the opportunity for one infected horse to infect others is really is really great. And the Coggins test has done done a really great job of eliminating that. And it couldn't have been a nicer guy that invented it. Uh, You know, he was never arrogant or boastful about it at all. It was just very matter of fact about the kinds of things and kinds of work that he did. Interestingly enough, he he went to, uh, he did his undergraduate work at NC State. And oh, he
1: did! I didn't know that.
4: Yeah, he is. He has a bachelor's degree in dairy science from from NC State,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and he went to Oklahoma State to veterinary school under the under the uh, uh, the uh, Southern Regional Education Board contract arrangements. A lot of uh, NC State uh, residents went to the University of Georgia, where I graduated, and mm-hmm. some went to to Oklahoma State, and that's where uh, Leroy went. So uh, he's got a, a strong North Carolina connection, both before he became a veterinarian and after he uh, uh, became famous for developing the Coggins test.
1: Right. You know what else I think is really fascinating is uh, I mean, you think back to that time, 1970. I mean, we we nowadays molecular biology and tests like this, the Eliza Agid, that's like that's part of our. Normal understanding of things, but back in 1970, that must have been so cutting edge for him to develop something like that.
4: Yeah, and I think if I remember right, it, 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 the original test was an Auger gel diffusion test, and so he was measuring antibodies in horse blood to the viral antigen.
2: Mm-hmm. And-
4: and that uh, you 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 could you could have a little plate with little holes in it, and you'd have a positive and negative control in there, and then a test a group of test animals in there, and you could tell, well, you know, in a fairly short period of time whether or not uh, the horse was positive. So it was a fairly simple, but uh, very uh, excellent and efficient way of uh, making this diagnosis. Very important.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just really, at the time, it was cutting edge, and it's great that we're still using this technology today. So, Dr. Fletcher, thank you so much for coming on and wait a minute, sharing wait a minute, your wait memories. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? What?
0: Dr. Fletcher, were you not, in fact, her dean?
1: I meant dean, nope. yes, sorry. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, can you tell us any, you know, she
4: was probably in trouble all the time, wasn't she? Because she's so bad.
0: No, I'm you know, not.
4: You know, I don't remember any... Um. Anything um, uh, bad about Wendy? I I think uh, she was a really good student, and uh, look how See? she's turned out. Huh? That
0: does not make good radio. I'm telling you, <laughs> it just doesn't make good radio. I was expecting all these stories. I was so excited to have you on okay, to hear okay. all these stories. I have one story. Okay. I have one story. Dean
1: right. Fletcher, I hope you don't remember this story, but um, I was uh, we we have the Florida State Fair across the street every year um in Raleigh and on Thursday before the fair starts all the food trucks come and like you know all the stuff gets set up so my best friend uh from vet school and I we skipped out of nutrition class and went over to the fair and we had all these stickers we had lemonade and all this food <laughs> and we thought okay We'll sneak in the front door because nobody will be coming in the front door. But if we sneak in the hospital way, they'll know that we were skipping class. So who is walking in the front door when we're coming back from the fair? But Dean Fletcher totally busted us.
4: <laughs> at least, at least you were, you were, you were uh, engaged in nutrition at the time. Oh, so. see, that's a good, that's a good point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. I think you said something like that. You said, "You said, girls, I'm proud of you that you're doing research about the
0: fair." Now, if <laughs> if you consider Funnel Cakes nutrition, I mean, now we have <laughs> to look at that. Yeah,
4: <laughs> well, A lot of other fried stuff. Like you know, um, uh, uh, what 20- you didn't
0: know is he was coming back from there, too. That's what Maybe. you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. <laughs> we love Wendy. We just like to pick on her.
1: I know. <laughs> yeah,
4: that's good. So, so Wendy, I'm I'm glad to um, to know that you're um, still actively engaged in this profession and doing such a good job. I, I appreciate this opportunity to to uh, visit with you and talk about Dr. Coggins and the Coggins Test.
1: Oh well, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Well, there's a full show for you on the Driving Radio Show. I know we met many of our listeners that listen to our show at WEG. It was fun to meet everybody there. And uh, we had we found some Wendy fans there, and really congratulations, Wendy, on being a superstar now on NBC.
1: <laughs> okay, An I, official NBC commentator. I appreciate, commentator. It. <laughs> I, appreciate it, but I wouldn't call me a superstar. Okay, people love you. I like that you're. I like that you're calling me a superstar, but I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> think Have they that called you back to think.
0: do like a talk to do a talk show or maybe a game show or something? No, Nothing,
1: because I'm sure I'm too. Uh, I'm sure I'd be too controversial uh, uh,
0: yes yes <laughs> <laughs> but you everybody did love you on there and you know i think this the difference is you actually do know how to do this stuff so it's kind of like listening to jumping commentary when they know nothing and they're just saying okay it's or such and such you know yeah um well and, the, and you the years on this of show
1: of, yeah the years on this show have really helped me because i think when we first started the show there's so much stuff that I think, like, I don't say because it would probably be boring, right? So sometimes when they ask you, you know, to cover a show like this, you'd be saying, okay, well, I'm going to imagine my audience is Randy and Katie and talk like you're watching the show with them. Well, if I did that, then people that don't know anything about driving would have no idea what we're talking about, right? So I try to think about um You know, if I'm trying to explain it to my parents while they're watching the show with me, then because they kind of know that I drive, but they have no idea how to do it. So I just kind of try to think about that. And I think that's why um, it was trying to make driving more accessible to people that don't drive. So you, you don't just say, oh, that's nice.
0: Well and I think that's what you know, we heard from a lot of our listeners to other shows who watched it that day who you know, that's one thing about Weg is people will watch stuff they don't usually watch because they're just watching yeah. everything. So it was fun to hear from our non driving listeners and hear them saying, Hey, you know, that's uh, it was neat, I didn't understand that. Uh, yeah. And that's what made it really cool is is they they got to understand a little bit. You know, I had a couple of people mention about the bl- blinkers and about how horses see and what they can see. And also they never understood that part before. So yeah. that was kind of neat. You know,
1: I teach a lot of driving lessons. And everyone that I teach to drive is a rider. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, hey, I want to learn to drive. So they come over. Um, and so I do tend to teach driving from a riding person's perspective. But the blinkers are a big thing because when you're riding, you know you don't deal with that. You don't wear blinkers when you're riding. So, uh, so yeah, that's how they see. Is a lot of ways how we turn them, especially especially your leaders. And it's it's important if they can't see behind them or like the that I got that comment too a lot. Like that straight on post. Why one post sticking up is so difficult to drive around, and that's because horses cannot see directly in front of them. So, if they have blinkers on too, they, they can't see, like if it's a post and then there's rails going off. They, th- so, that just looks like a gap to them.
0: Huh. Very cool. Well, thank you, Wendy, for for being here this month again, and it was fun covering Weg with you. Let's do it again in four years, Uh, and not any (laughs) any sooner than that, because I was worn out. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much. And of course, you can find the past episodes. Just go over to drivingradioshow.com, and you'll find all the episodes we've done over the past eight years. We still put... This particular episode, even though it's on horses in the morning, out on the driving radio show feed, so you can even still subscribe to that. If all you want to hear about is driving, that's the best way to do it. If you want to hear all of our shows, go to horseradionetwork.com or download our app, iOS or Android. You can find it uh, uh, just by searching for Horse Radio Network. And also, we are only eight weeks away, Wendy, from Radiothon. Wendy is my Radiothon! host. She is my co-host, officially, for Radiothon. This is our fourth year, and that's a 12-hour live holiday event we do on the Monday after Thanksgiving, which is better known as Cyber Monday now. So it's a it's the biggest online shopping day of the year, and we're with you for 12 hours with like 30 guests, a dozen or more, 20 co-hosts, uh, but Wendy and I are, are doing it the whole day. By the end of the day, we can't talk. Uh, but we're there. We're there for you the whole day, and it's a lot of fun, and it's just very festive. It's like the kickoff to Christmas officially in the horse world. It's become a thing. We had uh, over fifty-five thousand people download last year, so people were listening, and we're going to bring it to you again this year. And we've decide we're deciding this week on a theme, and you'll start to see all the details come out and how you can participate and win a ton of prizes. So we give away uh, we gave away over four thousand dollars in prizes last year on that day. You know
1: that's the worst. Worst part of radiothon for me because I can't compete in the. You I love win. winning.
0: <laughs> I know you bitch about it every year.
1: <laughs> awesome, and I can't win any of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you.
1: Keep the shiny side up. <laughs>